Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Silent night, holy night, all is calm. I've often wondered what the calm is that that's referring to. It can't be referring to birth because that's not exactly a calm event, but something about the birth of Jesus is supposed to be calming. And so what we typically say is that this is talking about peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And we talk about that idea that Jesus brings peace. And that kind of makes sense that Jesus brings peace or calm. When Jesus was born, he was born in the Roman Empire in a period of time that historians call the Pax Romana, which was a period of about 200 years of peace, which started before Jesus was born and went 100 plus years after he was born. This period of peace where the Roman Empire was not at war, which I suppose is great if you're in the Roman Empire during that period, but for the rest of the world, that's not necessarily helpful. And eventually that period ends and they kick up war again and they go to war again and, and just like countries keep doing over and over throughout all of human history. So if Jesus being born brings peace, I'm a little unsure what peace we're talking about because there really hasn't been any peace, not in any consistent way. There's wars always popping up all over the world. So what is the all is calm? What is the peace really about? Well, I think it's something deeper in the human heart that isn't about warring nations, although that eventually will, will, will be part of it and come into play. But I think there's this, this deep peace in the human heart, this sense of shalom, uh, where, where things are right between us and God and right with our neighbor and the world is as it should be. I think, I think it's that. Because I think all of us feel um, a restlessness. All of us feel this sense of anxious restless, the, the sense of not calm, the sense of n- no peace, the sense of ah, thing, things are not as they should be. Something is wrong in the world. We, we, we feel that. Um, and, and I believe that Jesus in his birth and in his life, and if we follow him, I believe actually Jesus can cure that restlessness, that anxiety, that lack of calm that we have. Jesus can cure that and offers us hope. So I want to I read to you a scripture. This is not something that's typically read sort of as a Christmas text. This is from later in Jesus' life. It's something he taught on. And I actually looked back in over 14 years of, of preaching at this church, I've never talked about these verses, which is a little unusual because when, when I read them to you, you'll see these are the kind of verses that people love. Like, if you're going to read the New Testament, you want to read things Jesus said, this is dessert. This is like sweet, it's nice, people love hearing this kind of thing. This is the comfort that they come to for Jesus. This is not hard. This is not, you know, eat your vegetables. This is dessert. And I've never preached on it. I don't know why. But I'm going to now. Matthew 11. um, Listen to what Jesus says uh, about basically who he is and and the the way we feel and, and what he tells us to do when we're feeling this lack of calm, this lack of peace. Um, you've, you've probably heard this before. Matthew 11, let me just read it to you. It starts with verse 28. He, he says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, 
and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When we hear the word burden, or as it's also translated here, like heavy laden, we think in terms of modern burden or heavy laden. We think in terms of like, oh, things are bad and really hard right now. And we think he's talking about you have burdens, you have struggles, you're having trouble paying rent this month, and, and you don't know about that job, and you're getting laid off at the end of the year, or you're not going to make a Christmas bonus, or, or you got trouble with your family members, and your kid's making you crazy, and your mother-in-law's making you crazy. Like all of the, we think burden and heavy laden is those kinds of things, uh, which is a very modern way of, of, of looking at that. But to understand it, uh, we, need to, we need to actually think uh, differently, because if, if he just means that, we're going to love it. We're going to be like, yes, I'm, I have those things, Jesus. It's rough right now. Will you take them from me? You promised that it's going to go well. If I follow you, I'm going to get some rest. I'm going to get away from these people who are making me crazy. We think it's that, right? He actually means something different. Uh, the, the, the way burden is used there, um, it actually means something more like living under the weight of the divine law. Let me, let me explain that. There are 612 laws in the Old Testament. And so think about the Ten Commandments, that's some of them, but then a whole bunch of other laws that you can read in Leviticus and Deuteronomy in these places in the Old Testament. And these are laws the way the people of Israel should live. The Jews living in the first century, they're, they're trying to obey these laws. Keep the Sabbath day, um, you know, honor your father and mother, and, and uh, stuff like that. Obvi- the obvious, like, thou shalt not kill, that kind of stuff. They're trying to follow all those laws. Hard enough to follow 612 laws, right? But then, um, on top of that, the rabbis of the day, the teachers of the law, the Fer- some of the Pharisees, some of the different people, would add laws to them. So they would make laws about the law. So you have a law like, do not commit adultery. That should be obvious. We know what that means. Don't commit adultery. And they would go, oh no, don't even look at a woman, not even your sister. So you had people literally going around looking at the ground so they would never look at a woman, so they would never ever lust after her, so they would never ever commit adultery. So you had laws about the laws to make sure you don't ever break the law by making sure you don't break the two laws that came before it. So you have the law that says, remember the Sabbath day and keep, keep it holy. So on that day, you should do no work. Well, what is work? Well, legalists can define that for you if you want. If you want to know what work is, they had laws about that. If the principle is do not work, the laws then would say, don't ever light a candle because that's work. Don't blow the candle out. That's work. Make sure you do that before the Sabbath starts. Don't walk more than a quarter of a mile in that day because that's work. Like, Laws about laws. And so you go, you start with 600 laws, you add thousands on top of that. And the, the, the effect of, of living under that is it's a burden. It's hard to keep up with all of that. It's hard to be perfect in that world. We don't relate to that incredibly well because in this country, we don't have a lot of particularly religious laws. But, but Jesus comes along um, and he brings something different He's not laying that kind of burden on people if you have to keep all these laws perfectly. In fact, you can see this by his followers. In the book of Acts, which is the history book of the New Testament, kind of saying what happens after Jesus resurrects, what happens with the early church, 
the church is faced with a problem. They have Jews who have become followers of Jesus, and now Gentiles, non-Jews, are becoming followers of Jesus. And these Gentiles don't come from a Jewish background, so they did not grow up under all that. They didn't grow up trying to keep all the Jewish laws. They came from the, you know, you've seen movies about Rome, right? They came from the Roman, they're wearing togas and the, you know, the wreaths and they're fanning people and eating grapes or whatever the heck. Like, they came from that world with Zeus and Apollo and all that. And so, a big question in the early church, this is partly a race question, an ethnicity question, a big question in the early church is, do Gentiles who now follow Jesus have to become kind of Jewish? Like, we've been keeping all these rules our whole lives. We don't eat pork, we don't eat cream with this, and we don't, you know, we, we keep the Sabbath day. Do the new converts to Jesus have to follow all of those rules also? What, what should we do? Well, the church in Jerusalem gathers in Acts chapter 15, and they answer this question. And I want to read to you Acts 15. Listen, they have a debate about this. And this is important because if this debate had gone the other way, we would still not be eating pork. And I like pork. I had it yesterday. All right. Listen, here's here's the debate. Acts 15. After there had been much debate, Peter, God bless him, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, You know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them. So he's talking about the Gentiles and the Jews. Hey, we're in, they're in, we're all following Jesus now. Having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, listen to this. Why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus just as they will. This is the burden that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 11. This is the yoke. The idea is, and what Peter is saying is, do not make these new followers of Jesus start having to live under all these old laws and all the pressure of that. Because here's the reality, guys. Nobody can do this. Our fathers didn't do it. We don't do it well. All of us blow it. All of us can't live under the burden of the law. So Jesus comes along and says, um, if you're feeling burdened, come to me and I will, I will take that from you. Okay, but here's the thing. And you're going to argue this in your head. You're like, yeah, but I don't care. I don't live under Jewish law. I don't have to deal with that. I have not felt the burden of Sharia law or any other sort of religious uh, laws. So, so I don't need rest from that. I don't feel that kind of restless. Um, but I would argue that there's still a divine law that we all feel. We all have this sense in us that there's right and wrong, that we should not hate people, that lying is bad, that we should be honest people, that we should never cheat, we shouldn't cheat on those you love, and you shouldn't, you know, like, we have this moral code in us, I would argue pretty hardwired in us. Whether there's a law that has an actual legal code attached to it, we know in our bones that there's a right and there's a wrong. And then here's the other piece of that. None of us do right. Like we do sometimes for a while, but then we don't. And we break the laws that we know in our heart we shouldn't break. We do the things we say we should not do. How many times I shouldn't eat that, but you eat it. I shouldn't go there, but you went. 
I shouldn't take that job, but you did. I shouldn't say this, but out it comes. Like, you know what that's like. I know what that's like. And the, the, the effect of that over and over through our lives that we know we are not who we say we are, we know we are not as we should be, the effect of that on your soul over the decades is rest, you'll be restless. You'll be anxious because you know you're not quite right. And this isn't religious guilt piled on top of you. This is just humanity. We know, whether you're religious or not, you know, ah, I haven't quite done right. Not always. And, there's, and, it, and it weighs on you. Now, pop psychology will come along and there will be memes for this that are going to look really cool and they're going to say it in great ways, but they're basically going to come along and tell you that the way out of this feeling of restlessness inside your soul, the way out is to not listen to the critics and the haters and to cut out the toxic and negative people from your life. If you will just do that, you'll be fine because what pop psychology kind of teaches in our culture today is that the best way forward is for you to just not think anything you've ever done is wrong. Just think you're good and just different and, and let anyone who's critical of your decisions, you know, leave those people out because they don't understand you. I don't think it works. You still know. I still know it. We still know we're not right. In biblical language, I would say it this way. You know you sin. You know that. I, I, I know that. I know that about me. And Jesus comes along and says to us as well, not just to religious law people, but to us as well, he says, hey, come to me, and I'm going to help you find rest. He's not talking about a nap. Now, a nap is useful. I'm a fan. Put on the game today, let it go in the background, the crowd noise, and find your best sofa and go for it. No problem with that. But there's a deeper rest that we could find. There's there's sleep where you get a fitful night of sleep, and then there's like, they tell me there's like the REM sleep, right, of like where, you, where you're really in these deep sleep cycles, and, and that kind of rest, that kind of sleep is restorative to your, to your body in some way. That I, I think scientists still don't entirely understand how that works, but it restores you. Uh, Jesus is talking about a kind of rest that we can have for our souls, that can be deep and restorative. Matthew eleven twenty eight. let me read it to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke is one of these. We, um, you, you probably haven't dealt with that before in your life. Uh, this is used in agriculture and in old time farming. So if you've ever seen one of those in real life, you were either at an old timey farm or you were at Cracker Barrel <laughs> having biscuits, and this was on the wall next to the cow castrator. It was like, right there, you had biscuits, that was on the wall, you saw it, right? Like, that's the only time you've ever seen that, because we're not used to that. The way that thing works is you put two animals in, in it, and then they are able to move together more as one, and they are able to obviously accomplish more together, working a field or something, then they can accomplish uh, as one. The, the, the yoke binds you to someone else. It connects you so that you're in lockstep. And so when those things are alike, when you have two horses, it works well. Two cows, whatever, it works well. They move along together. But when things are not alike, it does not work well to be yoked to something that's not like you. If you got in one of those with a horse, it will not go well for either of you, mostly for you. 
Because if the horse decides to run, I don't care how fast you are, you're not keeping up and it's going to go very badly. And if you fall, you could trip up the horse. Like it could, it could go horribly wrong when you put two things that are not alike in, in, that, in that yoke. Um, this is often a, a, a phrase that we use with, with young couples or people in dating. We say, don't be yoked together with people who don't share your faith. And it is that kind of idea where we're saying, look, if, if, the two of, if you get married to someone, it's like being in this wooden yoke thing. This agrarian metaphor, right? But it's like you're going to be in this thing together. And if you guys do not have the same faith, values, background, whatever, like you, you want to consider, are you moving in the same direction? If you're not, one of you is going to get killed in this thing. Like it doesn't, it's maybe a little dramatic maybe for marriage, but it's, it's not going to go well is what we always tell people if you yoke yourself with someone who does not share your faith. And, and, and I think that's good and, and, and there's value in that and we need to think about that. But um, I think all of us are yoked to something, whether we are religious people or not. We are all burdened by something and we are all attached to something. We don't call it yoked. We actually call it things like, you've probably heard this phrase, like find your true north, right? That, that, that's memeable right there. Like find your true north, find your compass, your, your guiding light, your core principles. Like, and, it, and let me be clear, I'm not uh, opposed to core principles. I, I'm fine with that stuff. But we say this, and when we say your true north, really, in a sense, what we're saying is be yoked to whatever that is, that thing, tie yourself to it, and let it drive you forward. That is how a yoke works. And so we tell people um, to find your true north, and really what your true north is, is your yoke. And the problem is the most of those things that we make our true north or our, that we are yoked to end up um, destroying us. Um, all of us are restless. All of us have that nagging anxiety in the soul. And so we yoke ourselves to all sorts of things in order to fix that thing, to fix that recklessness. So we yoke ourselves to a spouse. In one sense, that's okay. But in another sense, um, when we yoke ourselves to a spouse and say, you are my true north, you are everything, it usually ends up destroying you and them. When we do that, we develop an emotional dependence on them that we shouldn't necessarily have when we ask them to be everything for us. For some of us, we yoke ourselves to our children. We want them to be something for us. If you will turn out a certain way and you will always love me because I have always loved you, then we will be fine and we yoke ourselves to them. And it does not go well in our desire to have them be everything for us. They either embrace it and they don't flourish or, or you embrace it and then you would never end up flourishing if they ever make a decision that you don't like. Like there's a danger there of yoking ourselves to our children. For some of us, we yoke ourselves to approval. We so desire that our, the, our, you know, our true north, our guiding principle will be they will like me. If I do this, they will like me. And that is, social media age has thrown gasoline on that fire. It was already bad enough if you had an approval rating sort of job, like a teacher or a preacher or a politician or whatever. If you had a job where you depended on the approval of others, that was already difficult. Social media has made that worse so everybody can be an Instagram star and get likes and have somebody like what they're doing and follow what they're doing or get approval that way or seek approval that way. And when we yoke ourselves to approval... It's a huge problem because we can't criticize anyone because if I criticize you, I'm afraid I'll lose your approval. 
and we can't receive criticism because that means I don't have your approval. So, if we're, so we end up being in relationships where we can't criticize or take criticism, which is not a healthy relationship at all. So yoking ourselves to approval doesn't work either. Um, anything you yoke yourself to will destroy you or you will destroy it. So Jesus points this out, we, and we will not feel calm. So his solution to this is actually to yoke ourselves still, but not to all of these things, but actually to him. First of all, he says this, come unto me, come to Jesus, come unto me. He offers himself. This is an important point. Jesus does not invite us to a philosophy or an idea or a set of beliefs. He doesn't say, come unto my teachings. Come unto some ideas that I'd like to share. Come unto these things that I wrote down and just follow them perfectly and you'll be fine. There were laws already written down they could try to follow perfectly. That isn't quite it. He invites us to him. Now, this is hard for us in post-enlightenment America because what, what we are drawn to, and especially in times of uncertainty, you saw this during COVID, what we are drawn to is an airtight argument, something that can be backed up with facts and reason and logic. If I can work it out and make it make sense, how often have you heard that? Please make it make sense. Like, we are drawn to that. What we think we want is, I need an argument. And Jesus could have come along and given us an airtight argument, I suppose. Come unto my airtight argument and you'll find rest. He could have said that. Come unto the ontological explanation for the existence of God so that you'll know. Come, al- come unto the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Let me explain it to you in a syllogism. If God exists this, then if this happens, you know, like... He could have done that, but he doesn't. He says, come unto me, because God is not a correct answer on a test. It's not supposed to be just something for your intellect. God knows he does not need to address humanity as just merely a brain walking around. If, if all that was needed for God to address was the brain, he could have said, come unto this book. I wrote it all down, just follow it perfectly. It's, it's not that. We're more than just a brain. We have emotions. But Jesus doesn't say, come, on, come on to my emotional support animal and, I will, and he will give you rest. If, 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 if it was about making us feel better, I mean, a labradoodle would help. I don't know if it's going to solve everything, but he could have. there could have been a labradoodle in the manger and we would have been like, that's so adorable. God showed up like a labradoodle. This is amazing. Like, and, and that might have made us feel good for a certain period of time. But we are not emotions. We're not merely intellect. We're not merely emotions. There's something deeper that, that people are. We are body and soul and mind. We are thoughts and emotions and desire and We are spiritual beings, and we have a physical body. There's a lot going on here. And so if he's going to cure us of our restlessness, he can't just cure our emotions. He can't just cure our intellectual problems. He has to reach the whole person. So God sends a whole person, Jesus, and he says, come to me. 
Come to me, he says. So that's my first challenge is, if you've never done that, if you've never come to Jesus, if you've never said, I am going to follow him with my life, for my life, and be baptized into Christ, write it on your Tri-5 card today. The check a box there about baptism. We will talk to you about that. We will talk to you about the next steps of how you can continue that journey. If God is calling you and you're like, you know, I've never done that. I've never made a commitment to follow him. This is, this is the time we can baptize you. Let's do that. So that's, that's number one. Number, number two, the second thing he offers is he says, take up his yoke, basically. So this is weird because I told you that if you yoke yourself to something, it's going to kill you or it, right? Um, but this is going to be different. This is the one that if you yoke yourself to it, to him, um, it, it really does change you. Now, I'm, I'm not saying, he, or he's not saying, look, I know you're heavy burdened and weighed down. Just take my different set of rules and expectations, and then you won't be so late weighed down. Like, everybody else's rules are really intense. My rules are just, like, way less intense. So just take mine. I'm like the Cliff's Notes of, of the book. Like, everyone else is going to give you the heavy thing. I'm just going to give you, like, he's not saying that exactly. He's offering himself. Yoke yourself to him because he's the only thing that won't crush you. Christianity is different this way uh, in that uh, the Jews are going to try to follow all the laws perfectly. The, in, in Islam, there's the, the, five, uh, the five pillars of Islam. You have to do these things to please Allah. And, and there's the eightfold path in, in other religions. Like there's, there are uh, steps that you must take and you must do well and do perfectly to get to God, that kind of thing. And, and Christianity is different. Jesus doesn't say, here are the steps. Jesus comes along and says, take me. I'm it. I, I am fulfilling this for you. Um, connect yourself to me. I can actually make you right. You see, when we become a Christian, we think this means we've got to stop sinning. I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to get myself right. I'm going to clean it up. Stop sinning. And what we miss is we're actually called to stop striving so much. Stop pushing to prove that we're right. Stop pushing to earn God's favor. That's just not how it works. Christianity is more like come to Christ and you have God's favor. You don't have to earn it by following all these rules and, and, and doing this. Stop striving. Why are we so restless? Why do we work so hard? Yes, at your job you may work so hard, but it's, it's, it's more than that. There's this non-stop motor we have. And I think if we look down inside and go, what's really going on there? We are striving to earn approval. We are striving to be good enough, to be right, to get it exactly right. We're constantly seeking validation. All of us fall into this. And Jesus says, you're never going to be good enough on your own. Take my yoke. Let, let, me take, let me take your place and you can have my yoke as if it is yours. We think, oh, if I just had better work-life balance... And maybe I need to go to my boss and, and see if I can have Friday afternoons off. Or, or maybe uh, if I just take a new job, which has some better margin in it, that's going to be the thing that fixes it. And, and we think, oh, I'm going to have this free time, and then I'm going to be able to meditate a couple minutes a day because that's all I can do. Um, I'll do yoga I, sometimes because that's going to make me feel good. And maybe if I give margin in my life, I will go to the farmer's market on Saturday, and, and I will have one life when I, when I can live this way. Um, and I just want to say, um, that's never going to get it. 
that's never going to get us the rest that we really need in our souls. Um, and it's not the kind of rest that Jesus offers. Come to him. This is, coming to him is a form of surrender. When we surrender, we lay down our arms. We say, I'm not going to fight anymore. But I also think we need to lay down our, our striving and all of our performance management that we do. Yoke yourself to him and let him be all that you can never be. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the calm that is uh, brought to earth when Jesus comes, that he offers us peace, he offers us rest, he offers us um, a different road to walk down. And, and God, so many things that we would yoke ourselves to, that we would find as our true north, those things will ultimately destroy us or destroy those things. Um, so God, we are open to and we ask that um, you show us the way to yoke ourselves to you, um, to be connected to you um, and, to, and to follow you uh, in, in, in a really profound way. God, for those in the room who have never given their lives to you, may this be the day that they say, I want to get baptized, I want to give my life to Christ, I want to follow him, I want to know him. Um, I am I, willing to yoke myself to him um, because, because he can handle it. I, I pray that this is their day. And for those who have made that decision, God, uh, may we examine our lives and look at the ways that um, we're still trying to freelance and go off on our own. And I pray that you help us to, um, to follow you closely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.